You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Gino looks, going to lay it up over the top. Got a man out there. It is locking. He has got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and 10 at the Seattle 40. Play fake Stafford. Going to stop. Going to look. Gets hit. Goes down. Back in midfield. Getting to him in the backfield is Daryl Taylor. Presented by Delta, the official airline of the Seahawks. Now, here's your host, Jen Mueller. The Seahawks coming off about as an emotional a win as we have seen in a while. They even their record at one and one, and now they get a chance to play again in front of the 12s. John Boyle, how much are you still riding the emotion of last week? I mean, not as high as your vertical leap when Tyler Lockett <laughs> scored that touchdown and the TV cameras caught you jumping. But, it I mean, that was a lot of fun. It was such an exciting game. And, as you said, a lot of emotions. You go through stretches of that game, opening touchdown, awesome, they're doing good. They fall behind, they're not getting stops, you're getting worried it's going to go like last week. And then they come back, they have a 10-point lead, they're going to win. And then they give up the lead and go to overtime. So just all over the place, but that's fun game, though. You know, um, I did not anticipate my entire celebration being caught on camera, nor did I, I – I don't know that I realized in the moment what I was doing. I'm glad I looked somewhat graceful. My point uh, to this is – Debatable. Somewhat, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I look somewhat athletic. That's what I tried to tell the guys afterwards, and they just laughed, and they were like, well, it's totally you. It's like, I don't know what that means, guys, but thank you. (laughs) Here's my point. I don't know why that game. I mean, you pointed out the emotional ups and downs, but for a week two game, there was a lot of emotion. And maybe it was the intensity on both sides of that one. I mean, as DK Metcalf pointed out this week, look, every football game is physical, but a Dan Campbell coach Detroit Lions team, they definitely do have just a little bit more punch. But I think some of it goes back to expectations coming into yeah. the year. And you started to see that glimpse of, okay, you're, you're putting it together. Now you've got some sort of a baseline. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what happened in week one, too. I mean, as you said, there's high expectations. And you go out and have a very poor second half and get blown out in your opener. That, I mean, they did a good job putting that loss behind them and playing well, but I think in their minds they knew, like, look, you can't go out and start the year 0-2 and be the team you want to be. And, you know, all the emotion of the crowd, it's the home opener for the Lions, you know, their fans are all fired up wearing their masks, everything. And there's just, you know, you can't say any one game is more important than another in terms of all 17 count the same in the standings, but there was just a lot of emotion in that building that day. Statistically, teams that start 0-2 are in a much, much different position trying to reach the playoffs than a team that goes 1-1. And, And of course, anything can happen uh, the rest of the season, but it was a big win. And having said that, John, it is sometimes just as challenging to continue after a big win after it is a loss. In both directions, the previous game can cause distractions and keep you hung into the, you know, whatever just happened. And we, we try to have a tremendous discipline about learning how to do that so we can always come back and always get back on track. And I think it's been, you know, it's been something we've been doing for a long time. Uh, it's a skill that, that guys acquire, and, but that we need the experiences to do it. So um, there were so many things that came out of that this game this past week that are uh, measurably important to us, you know, and, and for learning and getting better and growing the lessons and, and all of that. Uh, the most important thing is really being disciplined about coming right back to work. What we did last week has nothing to do with what's going on now. Pete Carroll's talked about this a lot in the past. I mean, this is like a core part of his philosophy. You know, when you hear him talk about every week being a championship week, all of that, 
it's you don't want to ride those highs and lows of oh what a devastating loss and now it lingers and you lose the next week because you're still kind of have that hangover from the loss. Or the flip side of it is, you know, and, and I'm not going to speak for the Lions necessarily that that's why they lost, but that kind of situation of you go out and win your opener the way they did and you have so much going on, your fans are so hyped, like that can be dangerous as well for a team. And so the Seahawks are kind of on the flip side of where they were week one, and now it's, okay, that was awesome. We got this great win on the road. We won overtime. That doesn't mean a darn thing starting Wednesday when they hit the practice field getting ready for the Panthers. And I think you and I have heard that so many times over the years from Pete Carroll. Sometimes we forget that the incoming class hasn't heard that, whether that is a veteran that is joining the team for the first time or it's the entire rookie class Mm -hmm. that needs to be reminded not only to flip the page, uh, but also how to finish, right? Like there was a lot of good things that came out of that one, and now you've you have to pretend like none of it did. Exactly. I guess. I don't know. That was awesome. You enjoy it on Monday, and now you move on to the Panthers. When you take a look at the numbers from that game, or at least what we saw, who we saw, top performers, what's the thing that you go back to and say that's the best sign for this team moving forward? Two sacks and six quarterback hits in the second half. That's been the, the pass rush has been a big issue to start this season. Grant, I mean, give credit to the offensive and the offenses and the quarterbacks they've played. They're you know they're good quarterbacks. They know how to stay out of trouble and get rid of the ball. But through six quarters, this team had two quarterback hits, I believe, no sacks. They dialed it up. I mean, I'm not saying they dominated the offensive line in the second half, but they affected the quarterback in a way that you know you go back and watch an interception. Jared Goff's under pressure. There was a key third down incompletion before the field goal that tied the game where he threw an inaccurate throw because Jaron Reed was in his face. If they complete that, maybe they're scoring a game-winning touchdown there and they don't go to overtime. So the fact that you're starting to affect the quarterback to me is a huge deal because we've seen him stop the run pretty well for two full games now. So mix in some pass rush, and that's where this defense can get a lot better. Draymond Jones getting his first sack of the season. We saw Trey Brown getting into the backfield. I think we saw a little bit of versatility, too, in where that pressure was coming from Mm -hmm. in the Seahawks' defense. It will be interesting as we look at the matchup against Carolina. Bryce Young is the starting quarterback for the Panthers, but as we look towards Sunday, he has missed a couple of days of practice with an ankle injury, so his status is a little bit of a question mark. Before we look at the numbers, which probably don't accurately depict his talent, let's hear what Pete Carroll has to say. Well, he's the best player in America, you know, and, and uh, he's got great instincts and savvy and, and playmaking and confidence and, and all of that stuff, or they wouldn't have done it, you know. And, um, I, I think this is our third number one pick in a row we're getting a quarterback, you know, so, so um, we expect him to be terrific. If he's the guy out there playing, then we expect him to be able to do a lot of stuff. He's a very uh, natural athlete and a real gifted athlete, so he can move real well and all that, so he can create stuff. So it, it, those, always, those guys always cause problems. It's kind of fun to hear Pete Carroll talk about that because you know they know him pretty well. As was well documented, they spent a lot of time with all the top quarterbacks in this year's draft, including Bryce Young. Um, it, yeah, I mean, great player, and you know, sounds like we may not see him this week, which is unfortunate for the Panthers. But uh, Andy Dalton's had a little success against his team, though. Well, and Andy Dalton last faced Seattle with the Saints last year. Now, the Saints won that game, but as we were kind of chatting off air before we started this, I'm not sure that it was necessarily a result of Andy Dalton because his final numbers in that game, he was 16 of 24 on pass attempts, 187 yards passing, a touchdown, an interception by Reek Woolen. It was actually the 
backup quarterback. Slash tight end. Slash. slash what, what all do we call him? I don't now? know. Weapon. Wasn't yeah. that listed? Wasn't who listed it as just like overall weapon a few years ago on a roster? He was good in that game. Right. Though. It Seahawks was Taysom Hill, right? Yeah. That, that had a hard time. Here's what I wonder. So there's a couple of things here. Look, Bryce Young certainly is talented. And I know that they have pieces around him. You've got Miles Sanders, the running back. You've got Adam Thielen, who leads the team in receptions and receiving yards. Jonathan Mingo is actually the wide receiver who's been targeted most, just hasn't been able to make the catches. Now, as I look at this Panthers team, John, they are playing with backups on their offensive line, too. And one of the concerns in Carolina is that there's been a lot of pressure, like actual pressure in the game, not Mm. expectation pressure on Bryce. Pressure on quarterbacks, yes. But when you look at the total sack numbers, he's not even in the top five of how many times he has been sacked in the first two games. Which means, to me, his legs have been an ass. move a little, yeah. So what happens if you put Andy Dalton back there? I mean, if you're the Seahawks, what happens is hopefully you get some sacks and hit the quarterback a bunch, so... I, and I, but I say this too because the conversation again in Carolina is we're not going to change the offense, right? The offense is mm-hmm. built around Bryce Young. We are not changing the offense. Whatever happens with Andy Dalton, it should look like it did previously. But it's not going to because if you can affect the quarterback with pressure, and I would assume he's a little bit more accurate in his passing. I, I haven't watched enough of their highlights to know if it's accuracy or if it's play calling that's led to not nearly. Um, enough yards through the air and with their wide receivers, but it, it is it, that game could look completely yeah, different. I mean, they're two very different quarterbacks, but I do get the the thought of we're not going to change our offense for a backup quarterback when you're building this whole franchise around the number one pick. So, I mean, not I'm not saying they don't care about winning, but right now your bigger picture thing, if you're the Carolina Panthers, is doing everything you can to build a successful team around Bryce Young. So. We'll see what it looks like with Andy Dalton. I mean, he's a savvy guy. He's played a ton of football, so I don't think he's going to go out there and look lost. But it, it'll be interesting to see how this offense. Look, I mean, their offense just hasn't really gotten going through two weeks, so I don't. We, we'll see what we'll see what they can do in, on Sunday. They have relied on their run game quite a bit. Yeah. Miles Sanders, the leading running back, they're averaging four point nine yards per carry. Yeah. They are accounting for forty nine percent of their offense on the ground. I think if you were to ask me the same question I asked you about bright spot moving forward and best sign mm-hmm. of that game against Detroit, it's the fact the run defense held up again. Yeah. Because I mean, that one's going to be big this week. Yeah. it's. I mean, they're, if you're in that situation coming on the road, your quarterback's either hurt or it's a backup, I would think they're going to try like crazy to run the ball. And that's, I mean, we talked about after week one, that's for a defense that that was a Big priority for this team. They struggled against a run last year to do this two straight weeks now where they're holding the opponents to what is it, about three. I don't have yep. the number from me. It was about three, two. Yeah, per carry over the course of two games. That's that's a number you can live with. Why is that sustainable? Well, a couple of things. For one, I might have stumped you. No, <laughs> I think there's a, I mean, you could. There's a lot of like little schematic tweaks they've done that I can't even pretend to break down thoroughly, but I know you hear Pete Carroll talk about it. He likes some of the changes they've made. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of good players involved as well, but to me, it's a bigger than sustainable. You don't say, oh, well, they were bad last year. This is a fluke because their history says they're good. I mean, Pete Carroll's defenses tend to play the run well. I mean, the couple seasons before this last one, they were under four, you know, among the league leaders in yards per carry average. So I don't know that 
keeping it around three is sustainable. That's a really tough number over the course of a season. But, you know, being near the top of the league and keeping teams under four carry, that to me this defense can do. Well, and I was paying attention to my broadcast partners on Sunday and what they kept talking about was some of the fundamentals that yeah. we have talked about previously of making sure that you set the edge, make mm. sure that you turn things back in. As long as you have those same players and you keep driving home fundamentals, that's why I think it's sustainable because you're not going outside yourself to do it. Yeah, they're not. Guys aren't shooting in the backfield, making crazy plays every down that skew the numbers. I mean, they're. They're just really solid. And, I, you know, I think having 54 in there helps a little bit for run defense as well. You know, I'm not saying that was all of it last I, no, year, but he's no, but you know, really good. He is really good. You know what I found so interesting and in having a couple of conversations that I never once considered? He is so good, and he makes it look so easy, and he has seen so much football that sometimes it can be hard to believe that he is – recognizing so many plays before they happen. And I say this in context of young guys, right? And Bobby gets in and he says, look, this is what's going to happen. And I think sometimes it takes a few plays, a few games, a few quarters, a few weeks for everybody to realize he's not wrong. He's never wrong, right? Like, yeah. does that make any sense? For sure. Like, he's so good that you kind of forget. Well, and the other thing, like, if you've been watching a middle linebacker know what's coming and make the tackle over the course of a decade, it's not always that, like, thrilling, and you might almost get kind of used to, like, okay, they ran the ball for two, three yards, Bobby Wagner's there. When that's missing and guys either aren't in the right place or a guy misses a tackle and those short yards become six, eight yards and they start leaking out, and that's where the numbers pile up, there's just so many plays that he turns into a routine three-yard gain that, again, it's not flashy, but over the course of a season, those make a ton of difference. They do, and it makes a ton of difference how he communicates things. And I think what we have seen over the last couple of weeks is some trust building for the future Hall of Famer with mm-hmm. guys who are playing alongside him for the first time. I do think that that makes a difference. For sure. I also love that the Seahawks defense was able to come away with a couple of takeaways yes. and that there were 14 points scored off of those takeaways. I, I mean, that's that's an impressive number. Now, there were more points that were out there that could have been had. But when you think about the Panthers and the overall strength of their team, that becomes big. They're really tough up front. Uh, they're, they're, they're tough up front on the run and rushing the passer. Um, their technique solid and, and scheme wise good. They look for their chances to highlight their guys in the rush. They got a fantastic rusher in, in, in Burns, and, and you know they, uh, it's just a good group in, in every way. If Shaq doesn't play, I, I'm not sure how that goes here. Without him, he, he's a really good player too, and so that would be somewhat of a loss. But they're they're loaded. You know, this is a really good group. Yeah, unfortunate for the Panthers. Shaq is indeed out. He's, I think, out for the season. I believe, I believe. he is out so. for the season. He broke his fibula. Yes, yep. The former Husky. It's unfortunate news for them. But yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty darn stout defense. And, you know, I'm not going to say that their offense can't beat you. But when you look at this team on paper, the ways that it looks like they can make it hard on the Seahawks is for their defense to get going. So if you're the Seahawks and you can, you know, A, get things going offensively, but then B, to your point, get some of those takeovers, that can be a great equalizer. 
another former Washington area product, Washington State linebacker Frankie Luvu is part of that Panthers defense. He had nine tackles Monday night against the Saints. Three of those resulted in lost yardage. He also had a couple of sacks to go yeah, along with that. Team with the, we talk about Brian Burns, but right yeah. now their sack leader is Frankie. Okay, here's the cool thing about Brian Burns. If you look at some next-gen stats, I did not know that they tracked this. Mm-hmm. You probably look at this far more than I do. Fastest sacks during the course of the season. Did you know that this was a number that they tracked? I did not. Okay. Well, then you don't know that Brian Burns has recorded the second fastest sack. Okay? 2.5 seconds. Now, I can only imagine that means that he was unblocked (laughs) off the edge. Also, how about a credit to the tackles that we were maybe concerned about and at the very least curious about because Gino has been sacked just three times this year over the first two games. That's tied for eighth fewest fewest in the league. Yeah, and the Seahawks have been with their backup tackles for essentially a game and a half of their two games. Those guys, I mean, there's a reason Pete Carroll pretty much at the beginning of his press conference, you know, he does kind of general game o- overview, but the first names he mentioned were Jake Kern and Stone Forsythe, that locker room celebration. He called those guys out. I mean, for them to do what they did in that environment, I mean, you, know, you were there. It was so loud it in there. Loud. And that's, I mean, the CX had a couple false starts, and that's fine. It's probably going to happen. But for them to function that well on offense – have one sack, which like Geno Smith would be the first to tell you that sack probably doesn't need to happen. Right. I mean, they, you know, there are some pressure times and Geno did a good job avoiding it, but the, the one actual sack, he ran around forever trying to bleed a little time. So, yeah, those guys were outstanding. And for the CX to be able to function that well on the road, that bodes very well for those two guys. And can we also just give an honorable mention to Jason Peters? Yeah. Well, well, I know he's practice squad and he wasn't active, yeah, but, Jake but he Curran, was yeah, active yeah. during the game. I mean, Jake Curran talked about how much he helped him like right when he got here. Wednesday, Thursday last week, they just met the guy, and he's giving them pointers, essentially coaching them up. Jason Pierce talked about that in the locker room a little bit yesterday. He's like, look, I want to win, so I'm going to help these guys. And he, you know, he knew realistically there's no way he was going to play after three practices. So he was doing what he could to help in any way he could and like, kind of being a coach. He walked through the locker room for the first time last week, mm-hmm. and I just turned and watched. And I'm like, that is a dude, man. Like, yeah. you, he, just the presence, I mean, the you don't, aura. You don't play a tackle for 19 years if you're no. not a dude. <laughs> no, but I walked up to him this week, and I officially introduced myself, and I said that, and he just gave me this look. And I'm like, okay, you are just as intimidating as I anticipated, (laughs) so I am going to go talk to somebody else. And it really made me glad, John, that the tackles and that the offensive line are no longer all sitting together. As I have said many times before, when you group all of the offensive linemen or the defensive linemen together, I just don't want to be in that group. It's intimidating (laughs) as all get out. Even Jason Peters one-on-one. Really, really intimidating. Here's the thing for Seattle that I know Pete Carroll wants to address on the offense, and that is the running game. And it is interesting when I talked to Kenneth Walker, who had a couple of touchdowns, short yardage touchdowns. Mm. He thought it felt like they had more yards on the ground last week than they actually did. Pete Carroll says this week, well, yeah, that's because he was running all over (laughs) the place. And you start looking and, you know, he would bounce off a couple of guys. He would look for the edge. Um, I, I... that's one of those things that that you know Pete wants to get going and that you have to get going to keep this balance. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, as good as Gino was last week, for this offense to be at its best, 
they want to have that run game going. And the word Pete has used Monday and Wednesday is consistency because there have been some big runs. You know, Ken Walker's had some awesome runs. You mentioned the touchdowns. He had a great fourth down conversion and I think it was fourth and one, picked up, you know, hard three yards just hitting the hole. But look, he's a young back. He's going to keep getting better, but that's he's shown the big play, the explosive ability. But sometimes what Pete Carroll needs from him is just kind of to, to hit it hard and get the yards that are there. So when that run game gets more consistent, I think it's going to be fine. We've seen enough glimpses of it where, you know, their average was actually really good against the Rams. They just didn't have any plays in the second half, so there were no numbers. But um, it's, you know, I think they're going to be fine there, but that to be their best, they need to get it going. 82 yards on 25 carries. That's what Seattle's running backs have tallied. Seattle and Carolina, they are healthy at that possession, but that is not the case around the league. Our fantasy insider, Scott Engel, has more on how to deal with running back injuries in your lineup this week. Thanks, Jen and John. As we head into week three, fantasy players dealing with a lot of running back adversity. Make sure you go to Seahawks.com, the fantasy insider page. Check out this week's column a spotlight on how to deal with the running back issues that have popped up so far this season. From a Seahawks fantasy perspective, you're going to like the returns you're getting from Kenneth Walker this week after coming off a good game at Detroit. He faces a Carolina run defense that allows the third most fantasy points per game to running backs so far this season. Also be patient on rookies Zach Charbonnet and Jackson Smith and Jigba better fantasy times are ahead. The Seattle defense, good streaming start this week. Defenses that have faced the Carolina Panthers so far are averaging 9.5 fantasy points per game in the first two weeks. The Panthers have scored just 27 points in two games, and they have three turnovers in their first road game this season. So that opportunistic Seahawks defense we saw last week could have another good game in week three. Some other starters... From other positions, Pittsburgh faces Las Vegas this week. They rank first and second, respectively, in fantasy points per game allowed to running backs. Keep the faith in Josh Jacobs. Start Najee Harris again. Javante Williams is a good play this week. Miami is 30th in rushing yards allowed to running backs. And Green Bay is 30th against the run overall this season so far after two weeks. Kendra Miller was a good fantasy pickup monitor his status and you could possibly start him as a flex this week and in deeper leagues consider former Seahawk Tony Jones who rushed for two scores last week at wide receiver lock in Jordan Addison as a wide receiver three his core touchdown passes of 62 and 39 yards uh, so far this season Michael Pittman Jr. another very good fantasy wide receiver three start eight catches in each game so far, fourth in the NFL with 23 targets. Elijah Moore could have his first good fantasy outing with the Browns. Tennessee has allowed the third most fantasy points per game to wide receivers so far. And at tight end, keep that faith in Kyle Pitts. Remember, last week at Detroit, Seahawks tight ends combined for nine receptions for 132 yards against the Lions. And when you're considering Dak Prescott, Arizona has allowed the third most fantasy points per game to quarterbacks so far. Also, check me out at thegameday.com for more fantasy football advice and my lineup rankings over at rotoballer.com. Back to you, Jen and John. Thank you, Scott. 
Well, John, there's a couple of more topics that I want to get to before we wrap things up today. That is kind of an injury overall status. What I'm specifically thinking about is Jamal Adams and kind of alongside that, Devin Witherspoon being able to play in back-to-back weeks, which is a big deal for him. And and we kind of think, oh, you're in the lineup. You're you're in yeah. the lineup. Like, let's let's go. Yeah, but for a guy that, I mean, it missed as much time as he is, it is important to not just get that first game under his belt and make a lot of great plays. He showed some really good things, but to come out of it healthy, be back on the practice field and ready to rock. And I'm really excited to watch how he develops because we saw some glimpses that looked really good, and I think he's just going to keep going higher and higher as he gets more comfortable out there. Jamal, we'll have to see. I mean, if you read between the lines here in Pete Carroll, it sounds like they want to give him another week, but they'll give him the chance to show what he can show this week. He's practicing fully. I have a hunch he is going to be pushing his coaches very hard to let him play. So then it's just going to be, you know, is he fully ready? Is it safer to give him one more week to make sure? It sounds like he's close. We saw a little bit of him out there last week. He's moving great. He looks good. He's hyped up as all get out. He's, you know, mentally he is ready to go. It's just they want to make absolutely sure once they put him back out there, he's going to stay out there. So it'd be fun to get him back. But I, I think we might be waiting one more week, but we'll see. I forgot how huge he looks in shoulder pads. Yeah, he's not a small dude. I mean, like, I, I, I watched him practice this week, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, it's just different when he puts the pads yeah. on. No, I, I mean, I he's just, a he's a big physical guy. He's, and a, I, he's a linebacker playing safety. He, we know that. Know, but. He may, I've, we haven't asked him. He may have also bulked up a tiny bit. when You know, you spend that much time with a bum leg, and for a while you can't do all the running around you want to do. You say, hey, you know what, let's hit the weights and – Get the upper Is body going. Is that go. what they do? Because sometimes some, some I just do. say, oh, I can't run. Oh, well, ice I cream. tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> some chips yes, tonight. Well. That's what I'm going to go with. Okay, here's the other thing. I have waited until the end because I would just geek out on this. It is the 10-year anniversary yes. this week of our Super Bowl championship team. We have seen guys filter in over the course of the week. It is going to be so awesome to see them on Sunday, the Legion uh, season of Boom, excuse me, yes, was released this week. Yeah, which is still coming out. It's awesome. phenomenal. If you have not seen it, Seahawks.com or the Seahawks YouTube channel, there are so far six chapters out. There are three, two more coming tonight, and two more coming on Friday, and they are outstanding. The work done by the video team there, they are really, really good. And for as much as we all love those highlights. What I love about that team is that they have, I mean, almost all of them have gone on to do some really amazing things in the community and in business, and it is not something that is lost on Pete Carroll. No, I love hearing that. I love hearing that. I, what I love more is the work that they're doing and, and the fact that our guys that are in the area, uh, they all, they, they, all of them seem to have found you know, some kind of a lead into to, you know, be helpful and hopeful for other people and work with others and, and, and have an effect on them and impact. And, and meanwhile, they're, they're, the businessmen in them has really shown up too. You know, everybody's doing something. And so, um, yeah, really proud of that. I mean, we even get to see Marshawn making commercials, you know, so. <laughs> and with the more, Amish. <laughs> more of Marshawn in all facets. But yeah, I mean, I, I love it when Pete Carroll gets in like proud dad mode and he, he loves talking about one of the coolest things about this group of guys is like, Seattle's not close to where most of them are from. It's just not. It's kind of this remote outpost for most of them. And yet so many of them made it home, have become big parts of the community. You know, like you said, some have their businesses. Doug Baldwin has a community center. It's just phenomenal what they did out in Renton. But, yeah, it's the the bond this team 
formed. I mean, it really, it sounds cliche, but it really does feel like family with a lot of these guys and how it's lasted over the decade since that game. And it's just, it's really cool to see. And it's going to be fun to have a lot of them in town. And part of this is building on the culture that they experienced here. Yeah, As exactly. Bobby said this week, you know, we turned it into a competition. Yeah, we want to do good in the community. Doug has told me the same thing. Yeah, but it was always like, how do we compete and make it even better? Whether mm-hmm. it's the event or the impact or, you know, the, the cause that they are sponsor, sponsoring or championing. And I think it's been really cool. And I've said this many times. I believe that class of athletes changed the narrative for what an athlete looks like, what an athlete could be, what you can do while you're a player and what you can do after your playing days are done. And I think that that is going to have a huge impact for many, many guys in the future. Absolutely. So let's get to the two things that we need to see for a Seahawks win this week. I have one that we haven't even talked about. I wrote it down right here. I didn't know if you were going to bring it up or not. Well, probably not, but. (laughs) 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 All right. Am I going first? I don't know. Do you want to hear what I have to say first? I do now, yeah. Okay. I'm curious. Okay. You go. Here's what I'm looking at. Carolina's punter is? Johnny Hecker. Johnny Hecker. You know what I want? The Seahawks need to play good fundamental football and have awareness. Do not get caught on any sort of trick play as we have seen Johnny Hecker successfully pull off. I was totally going to say that one. You were not. No, I was not. (laughs) I'm just saying, look, you've got an 0-2 Carolina team that I'm not going to say they're desperate, but you know what? They're going to pull out some stops to get a win, and they're going to do what they can to silence the 12s. Don't let them do that on a trick play. And for me, it would be also run defense. It doesn't have to be 2.9 or 3.2 yards of play, but let's keep it around that and take away what what up to this point has been the most potent part of that Carolina offense. I'm going to say... I mentioned this earlier, but the pass rush, what we saw in that second half, more of that, you know, you don't have to completely dominate the game, but get in Dalton's face a little bit, make things difficult, you know, hit him a few times, get a sack or two. Don't just give him time to sit back because, you know, he's an accurate passer. He knows how to make good decisions. He's seen a ton of football. If you give him the time, he's going to make plays. And secondly, so far, we've seen the Seahawks do a good job taking care of the football and offense. This is the type of game to me. This is an opponent you should be able to beat. You're at home. You got a lot of things that favor you. One way you can let a team stay in a game is to give them the ball. So don't turn it over. Get to the quarterback a little bit, and I think you'll be fine. And I think it will allow all of us to enjoy the big celebration weekend, and we will be back next week with a brand-new edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast. <laughs>